thankful devotions in the Psalms as we've been going through these Psalms and uh, giving you somewhat of the backdrop to these lessons as I this year just had personal times of reflection on on the Psalms. And um, it was now, uh, I guess it was last week, I actually completed 150 of them. Um, I ended up in Psalm 26. I forget where I started, but I had to come back around again. And 150 of these thoughts uh, in the Psalms. I'm in the midst of sort of editing right now and uh, see what the Lord might do with him in the future. Uh, It was a great opportunity just for me to reflect on God uh, as I would read the Psalm and take one verse or at the most two verses, most of them are one verse, and think about the central truth behind this verse that is a reflection of maybe even a bigger lesson in that psalm. And we've already said in our previous lessons that people absolutely identify with the psalms. And why do they do that? Because they see themselves there so often. Uh, They see themselves crying out to the Lord. Uh, they, They see themselves in need. They see themselves doubting. And they see themselves also as, as conquerors, as, as victors, as, as soldiers, uh, because we see that in the psalmist as well. And surely they see themselves, or at least every believer, must see themselves as a worshiper of God, to give thanks, to give honor, to give praise to God. And we should all be a people who are thankful. I find that sometimes the things that we find ourselves, um, maybe we're discouraged because they are, at times, and you may disagree with me, uh, they are what I will call, and has been called by others, first world problems. We run into some first world problems, don't we? And see, exactly, your response told me that you know what I mean. That some of the things we say, oh, life is a bummer. Hmm, let me really think that through and view the rest of the world. The things that would take away my heart of thankfulness and and would cause me to doubt and and cause me to even at times question the living God and his care for me and his worth. Is that really worth it? Is life really that difficult? Now, this is not to say life can't be difficult. Trust me, because I... Uh, at times, preachers can, in order to make a point, and myself being one, uh, I have to be careful of that. To make a point, uh, you can distance yourself from the reality that people do face hardship, even in the first world. Because there are things that are hurtful, whether you be in a first world environment or third world. When there's a breakup of a marriage, that's hurtful. I don't care where you are. Is that not right? When a person has been faithfully serving perhaps in a job and and they're let go, that can be hurtful. Or or when someone has um, castigated you and and who you are and questioned even your character, it doesn't matter if you're in uh, this country or that, that's still hurtful. Gossip is gossip. It doesn't matter which um, side of this globe you find yourself. When friends who said they would stick by you and they don't stick by you, um, that doesn't matter where you are and what your income is. That's hurtful wherever you find yourself. And so the psalmist gives us a perspective about being thankful. Now, let me remind you some things we've already said. The importance of thankfulness in the psalms. We already noted that there are 51 verses that state thanks in the psalms and 11 verses that say Thanksgiving. 
It's obviously trying to make a point for us. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. Come before the Lord with thanksgiving. This should be our attitude. It is a part of our worship. And thanks is often combined with key words to highlight something in the character of God's words like loving kindness. So he is a covenant God that is forever loving us and will never break his vow to us. We give thanks because of God's name, and we see that consistently in the psalmist. In the psalmist. Oh, give thanks to his name, which is a, a testimony of who he is. We give thanks because God is good. God is a good God, is he not? And um, that's why the psalmist will consistently say, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the Lord for his wonders. And the psalmist will often say, uh, we should be thankful because look at all of his great wonders, which he's done. And he would say, look at his wonders towards even the sons of men. It is not just that he has created and we look into the heavens and see his wonders, but he has done these wonderful things in the life of his people. And then there's this overarching theme, which is deliverance and reverence for God. God, I give you thanks because you're a God that I should revere and I must revere. God, I give you thanks because so often you have delivered me. When I was down and out, when my enemies overwhelmed me, you delivered me. So there must be thanksgiving in life. We can say there's an importance of thanksgiving in this life. We all have some reason to give thanks. If I were to go through the list that I've even mentioned, mentioned right now, you would say, I have a reason to give thanks. As a matter of fact, I'm going to stop right now, do something hey, time to time that I, I might do. Someone give me a reason right now. Say, I can be thankful because what might you say if I look this direction? Salvation. Salvation. I'll look back your way. Salvation. <laughs> Amen. I'll look this direction. What can you be thankful for? The church. The church. Amen. Glad to be here. Aren't you? What else can you be thankful for? What's that? You're adopted. Amen for that. Yeah, that's right. To be taken into a family because we were all adopted, were we not? And now we're joint heirs with Christ. How can I not be thankful? I'm a joint heir with the very Lord of the universe. What else can we be thankful for? Opportunity. What's, in what way, doctor? Amen. The greatest opportunity ever. Not just career opportunities because those will be fleeting. But I have an opportunity every day that I can glorify God. Imagine that. A life that once, at one point in time, was actually an enemy of God. We were helpless, sinful. But yet God has done what? Romans 5 brought us into favor with God. And now we can glorify God. What a wonderful thing to be thankful for. Yes, George. His mercies are new every morning. Do we all agree with that? Every, his faithfulness. And his mercies. How about over here? Anyone thankful in this direction? Yes. For What's that? Correction. For correction. Hebrews tells us that, right? As a matter of fact, if we're not corrected, we're not even a legitimate child. Thank you, Lord, for your correction. Now, in the moment, it may not... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it may not feel that way or seem that way, but we know overall, we can say, God, thank you that you have corrected me. Reasons to be thankful. It's necessary in life. But there's some inhibitors to our thankfulness. And I just briefly remind you, what are those inhibitors? When we have an insufficient view of God, then we won't be thankful. If we have a small view of God, how can we have this sense of reverence and awe that says God overwhelms my circumstances? 
We, we won't be thankful if we find too much contentment in the temporary things of this life, because then it's, our thankfulness is bound to our circumstances and our station in life. What about when we compare ourselves to other people? We won't be thankful because we're constantly saying it seems as if life is better for them. Well, remember that guy ASAP nowhere, Psalm 73, because he looked out on men and he saw that why is it that they don't have difficulty or heartache? And why am I a person that's been striving for God? What's the point of this? And he said he came to his senses. Let me stop comparing myself. We over-exaggerate our expectations about ourselves and what we have and what we deserve, really, and what life should be for us. We should all come to this starting point which says, ah, I am saved. I am thankful. Deserve? What do I deserve? Hmm, Does anyone want what they really deserve? Anyone in this room? Any takers? Any takers on that? Going once, going twice, gone. Uh, And then we underappreciate God's sacrifice. Because all of this, all that we have, if I am now an adopted son, child of the living God, that adoption came through a great sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, did it not? So I must say to myself, let me be thankful, consider the cost of my salvation. Now, we live in a world where there is we can say we, there must be thanks in the midst of confusion. There's confusion all around us. Um, trust me, I, I just spoke to someone in the hallway who they son, and they have other people that work for law enforcement, and they are preparing for confusion this week with the results of this election. And my word, if it goes one direction, expect confusion. Expect more than one would think, perhaps has ever seen. I hope that it doesn't happen that way, but I don't have a great deal of confidence in humanity. You say, wait a minute, that's a, you're a bit of an ogre there. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't. Jesus Christ did neither. I think about it. Even Jesus Christ in the Gospel of John, and it says that many were believing him, but it says that but he did not believe them because he knew what was in man. That's right. Because we know it's a man. We see what's capable of man. And so what I want to do in these moments ahead is that there are five reasons for us to be thankful. We're going to look at Psalm 10 through 14. And there's some key words that we'll, we'll note. Transformation is one word that we'll see. Foundation is another word that we'll see. Societal decline, which we would all agree with, we'll see that. Divine favor, which we absolutely need and we should request every day. And then also practical atheism. You say practical atheism. How does that come into play? I'll tell you in a moment. But if I go back to this thought about thanks in the midst of confusion, I actually want to read something to you. And I don't like reading so much um, when it comes to sermon. But it's actually, uh, I posted something recently in social media. And I got some very interesting responses um, from it. And there was a great deal of, not a great deal, there was division Um, and I always, when I do these things, I ask people to be civil and there are a couple of people because it was my post that I deleted what they said because I just don't tolerate that sort of thing. But for the most part, it was civil and it did come down to a decision that one has to make, uh, in the upcoming election. And I have friends that are definitely on the other side than I am. And you say, what side are you on? Well, listen, you'll find out. (laughs) 
as if you don't already know. <laughs> and, they're, and they're dear people. And these people I've known for uh, decades and decades, and I'll continue to, they'll continue to be dear people to me, and I pray for them even more so as I see the division that's between us. And it was a question, what about these two candidates? Um, how do we make this decision? And there are about a list of 15 things that I put there that you need to, to think about. Maybe it was 13. And I was, people were responding to it. And here it was, the person that started it wasn't even saying anything because I was busy. And I said, I'll come back in a moment and I'll respond. And I did, but I only focused on two of the issues. And I said, here are some other things I'd like to respond to, but I'll do it in due time. Number one was this, and I'm just going to read some of the things that I said, and it was this. Because one person, um, and let me make sure you understand this, uh, there are definitely times with political candidates, they may make a statement, but it may not really be the conviction of their heart. Do you know that? Do you? Okay, we're not that naive, right? (laughs) Well, he said he believes this. Well, that doesn't mean it's really the conviction of his heart. His constituents want that, therefore he will say that. So that goes both ways. Let's not pretend. Remember man. Okay? Uh, But I said this, listen. Then conscionable support for uh, abortion on demand. I find it distressing that some call the blank certain party to task for its immigration policy and referred to as inhumane, while at times literally cheering when legislation passes to allow late-term abortions. And no, it is not a woman's choice to end the life of a child. Yes, a child. Do not speak of the cruelty of children in cages, parentheses, which did not start in 2017, if you cannot speak for children in the womb. This must matter to Christians. Now, there may be a point when we may not, with a clear conscience, vote at all. In my opinion, we are not there yet. Said differently, there will be a time when there won't be a lesser of evils, and we will abstain. I am praying, as any minister of of the gospel who is worth his weight and salt should pray, raise up voices for the innocent Lord and To say that is an issue that distracts from the more important ones is a voice that has lost touch with God. Now, that last sentence, I need to put that in context because it's someone that I've known for 20 years that actually still professes Christ, that um, was raised and even taught people in very conservative doctrine. Um, And if I mentioned the person's name, you would know that person who wrote a response. And his response is that abortion, that's just distracting us from these other issues. And I'm directing it to him. And I'm saying to him, man, you have lost the sense of your voice for God. You should no longer call yourself a minister of the gospel. Do you agree with that? Then I went on to say this. Unfortunately, the blank party... It's cowering to the radical left and the LGBTQ plus community. Why is this important? The protections that the other candidate has proposed for the LGBTQ community, parentheses, even in his 100-day plan, which his party will support, will have serious implications for churches. 
the anti-faith element in the party will not rest until people of genuine faith are fined for preaching the full counsel of God. And to my friends, some of which go back to the sweet days of our childhood in Orlando, know that many of you support, those that many of you support will not be satisfied with attacking conservative Christians, but any who speak against their life choices. I believe that it is spiritual naivete to accept any other position. The churches that will avoid this are those which Jesus has already departed. They are false houses of worship in the world whose number increases every day. Places who have already recanted now threaten the souls of men and women in their compromise. This is important to me as it is joined to my very purpose for remaining in this life. The church must make a loving yet uncompromising proclamation to those in this community and present them with the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. One day, that simple message will be considered hate speech by some. It makes no sense to support the enemy of your message. It doesn't. It doesn't. Some say it was just politics. Well, at one point in time, it was just politics. Not any longer. It's a spiritual battle. And again, and I feel like I need to add this caveat each time I say these sort of things. Uh, there is no pure party. As long as there have men in both of them and women in both of them who are sinners, they're both stained. Do we agree on that? Can you say amen to that? I was out this morning for my, what I call my preaching run. As I do, I go out and run, and, and uh, I've been taking my phone with me and kind of talking and huffing and puffing and talking at the same time in between my intervals, and I did it this morning. And one thing that I was sharing was what I, a little bit about what I might share this morning, and I had this one thought, which was this. I am so thankful that there are no term limits with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Amen? None. He reigns now, and he will reign forever. November the 3rd, the Lord Jesus Christ will still look at the nations, and he will laugh. Will he not? And if one party takes the the White House, he will still laugh. And be careful about preachers that want to tell you, if the other party takes the White House, he's going to smile suddenly. No. He still laughs. Because we as a nation ultimately still really deny him. He still laughs. And he says, why are they in an uproar? Why do they think that somehow they can overthrow my sovereign reign? They cannot. And see, we live in the midst of this confusion. So how do we remain thankful? Well, we go to the Psalms. At least one place. Let me give you these five reasons to be thankful. Look at Psalm 10. We start there. Psalm 10, 11. Psalm 10, 11. I'll read up to that point. Why do, you st- why do you stand far off, O Lord? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In pride, the wicked hotly pursue the afflicted. Let them be caught in the plots which they have devised. For the wicked boasts 
of his heart's desire, and the greedy man curses and spurns the Lord. The wicked in the haughtiness of his countenance does not seek him. All their thoughts are there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high out of his sight. As for all his adversaries, he snorts at them. He says to himself, I will not be moved. Throughout all generations, I will not be in adversity. His mouth is full of curses and deceits and oppression. Under his tongue is mischief and wickedness. He sits in the lurking places of the villages and the hiding places. He kills the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the unfortunate. He lurks in a hiding place as a lion in his lair. He lurks to catch the afflicted. He catches the afflicted when he draws him from his net. Now you, you're reading this. Says, Where is the reason to be thankful? The wicked are having a heyday. They're taking advantage of the innocent to be thankful. Where is it? Notice what it says. He crouches, he bows down and the unfortunate fall by his mighty ones. Notice verse 11. He says to himself, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will not see. What can we gain thankfulness? Well, notice even verse 16 though. The Lord is king for how long? Forever and ever. Nations have perished from his land. O Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will strengthen his heart. You will incline your ear. God is king. Amen? Amen. So why can I be thankful? And we can say this. Be thankful that as you, that as you behave less like unbelievers who deny God. Or you behave less like unbelievers who deny God. This is what's happening. We can be thankful that there is a transformation. The believer, the unbeliever behaves in such a way as if there are going to be no life consequences. We as Christians must avoid what we'll say I'll call practical atheism. Practical atheism is living in such a way that you don't believe that there is a God and there are consequences. In one sense, we may say it this way, I'll say it this way. Whenever we live in such a way that's a reflection of our past instead of our present and our future, in one sense, we're being a practical atheist. We're saying, God, I don't know that you're there. Now, reality is there are decisions that we've made, whether it be as an unbeliever or even as a believer, and those same decisions, if God were literally right next to us, would we make the same decision? What is the answer? You would not. It's the same way that, um, you know, a parent and the kid, when the, the parent comes home and they open the door and the kid's been in a bit of uh, mischief, what does the child generally do? Continue the mischief? No, they don't. What do they do? Straighten up. <laughs> you remember, I mentioned to you a couple of weeks ago about that garage door that was broken. We got the garage door fixed. Um, and it's a, it's a pretty interesting, a story comes from it. And that it is so quiet now. The one that we had before was clang, 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 clang. And this is just so, it's like this. And Joanna made the statement, now I can't sneak up on you guys anymore. <laughs> It really was. It was like, okay, mom's home, dad's home, because you heard the garage door. Now you can't hear the garage door. (laughs) A bit of a fun with that illustration, but you get my point. If the living God were next to you when you're looking at the monitor, what would you do? If the living God was sitting next to you when you had a conversation with your spouse, how would you speak? 
If the living God was sitting next to you and hearing your conversation about your leaders, would it be different? See, this is what the wicked does. The, the wicked says there is no God. There are no consequences. And they live as practical atheists. We must avoid that. And this is what he says. Notice verse 4. The wicked in the haughtiness of his countenance does not seek God or him. All his thoughts are there are no God. And when the psalmist says all his thoughts, it's just saying his lifestyle is a reflection of living as if there is no God. And what do they do? So because they live as if there is no God, they suppress their internal moral code. And when they suppress that internal moral code, you can have people that cheer, literally clap, when now legislation is passed that says you can have a late-term abortion. I saw the video. I still have the video saved. And when I initially saw it, I thought it was, it was like the cheer of a, of a proud parent and family when their child goes across the stage and they've graduated. That's my son. That's my boy. That's my daughter. That's my grandkid. It was that sort of cheer, but it came from hundreds of people all at once. And it was almost this sense of elation that went across the room. And I thought, this is the wicked. And they're saying there is no God. We will form our own values. And why? Because their internal moral code has been suppressed. And then altogether, it has been deadened. And some, it's just totally shut off. This is what happens. But in contrast, this is why we can be thankful. In contrast, believers must continually put off the past and take on the new. Are we not? This is what we're called to do. Why? Because we are not hiding from the face of God like the unbeliever. We are at least should be seeking it daily. We are saying, God, where are you? God, speak to me. God, what does your word say? The wicked are saying the opposite. There is no God. I don't care for his word. I don't want to hear what it has to say. He will not rule over me. So we must not be practical atheists. We must live in view of a God that is real and sees all. And then if we live that way, our life will be a reflection of that. Here's another reason to be thankful in the midst of confusion. Be thankful that the righteous have an everlasting foundation. An everlasting foundation. Look at Psalm 11, verse 3. Psalm 11, 3. The psalmist says in verse 1, And the Lord, I take refuge... How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string. They shoot in the darkness at the upright in heart. So we obviously see here that the wicked have directed their, uh, their hostilities towards those who are the opposite of them, the upright, as opposed to the, those that are the degenerate. And then he asked the question here, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Now, he gives some hope because he says in verse 4, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. Yes, we look around and we see that the foundations, moral foundations are being destroyed. However, there is this immediate reminder as Psalm 2 communicates and what he's communicating here in a different way is that God is still a sovereign God that is in absolute control. He's in his temple. His throne is in the heavens. 
It is not a throne that is here amongst men. It is a throne that is divine. It is a throne that is beyond time. So therefore, the psalmist would say, I can gain confidence in that. And notice what he says in verse 7. The Lord is righteous. He loves righteous since the upright will behold his face. The unrighteous will not. They will be declared forever separated from him. Be thankful that we have an everlasting foundation, unlike that of the world. Society is crumbling every day. And the church must ask, what can we do to stop this decay? Well, I would say that the answer is not appealing to everyone. But it's the only one that has any sort of eternal perspective. And it is this, live your faith, love your neighbor, and proclaim Christ. That's it. The church is confused right now. It is seeking other means. Uh, It doesn't necessarily believe that that is all there is to it, if you will. Now, this does not mean being a a silent bystander as your neighborhood is destroyed or as your neighbors are destroyed. Have a voice when you see inequity. But we must make sure that our priorities are in order, we have an everlasting foundation. Consider, and I'll read this to you. Consider this. As I thought about proclamation, we must make a proclamation of Jesus Christ and Him alone that we might say it this way love without proclamation is a love without substance. Because often we will hear that today, will we not? Well, what's most important is love. But if there is no proclamation, then that love has no substance. Would we agree with that? And I would say proclamation without sympathy is a message without heart. We can proclaim Jesus Christ, but yet if you see a brother in need and you don't help that brother in need, then your message lacks heart. Here's a third reason to be thankful. Psalm 12 and 1, be thankful that as society continues its moral decline, there is hope because Christians are called to seek divine help. It's declining. We've already seen it, even in the verses that we've read all around us. We see it not only in these verses. We see it in the verses that are on the pages and things that we read every day. Notice 12.1. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases to be. For the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. I think no one would disagree with that. We look around and we see, we'll call it societal degradation is new every day. I mean, and one wonders, even if it's repairable, can we fix this? And I would say uh, that it's not repairable. There's only one person who's going to repair it, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. When he comes again, and he sets up his kingdom. I was in a conversation, even at the retreat, and someone asked me um, about, they said they'd heard this phrase, um, they were looking for the word. They said, it's a dominion something. And I said, oh, it's dominion theology. And a dominion theology would teach the sense in which the commission really of the church is that the church must help right the moral ills of society. And once society has been morally corrected, then Jesus Christ will come again. We are to take dominion, and that's the idea behind it, take dominion in society, and Jesus Christ, we will usher in Jesus Christ. Now, which means we have to create a utopia for Jesus Christ to return to. Is that biblical? No. 
Any Bereans in here that would say, what is your vote on that? Is that biblical? Yay or nay? Nay, the nays have it. The nays have it. No, it is not. It is going to be societal degradation more and more and more. And the Son of Man will come and he will make all things right. And he will reign for a thousand years. We must ask in the midst of this, though, are we living in such a way that we can stay, even in the influences, places of influence that we have, we can stay even for a moment some of the decline? Because we preach the gospel, because we live for Christ, because we do show kind gestures towards your fellow man. Am I living according to this code that God has placed before me? The psalmist cries out, David cries, the godless man, where is he? It's in decline. I um, had a friend, actually, um, who recently did the Q&A for the men's ministry here, Owen Strong. And he wrote how his um, grandfather just died. And, uh, and I wrote him back, and he, 84, died 84, said he was a Marine, uh, and he worked until the, his last breath. And he had pictures of him with his grandkids and great-grandkids, and, and he was celebrating his life, you know, sort of in that moment. And I said to him, boy, I appreciate that, that, you, you know, your, your granddad was one of the old breed, we, I would wish that God would create more of that old breed um, that we don't see too often anymore. I mean, men that were men. Now, uh, I don't want to go too far into this. <laughs> so let's uh, take up the rest of my time on it. Men are not always men today. Oh, my. They just aren't. I mean, that was just, I saw men growing up. And men worked. And men worked hard. And men took care of their families. And men, I, I saw even recently, someone on a, a Facebook account, they posted a picture. And imagine if this is a street area here. Okay, this is a street. Here's a sidewalk. Everybody got that picture in their head? There's a street. Here's a sidewalk. And there was a couple walking. And then the woman was here. And the man was here. And they said, what's wrong with this picture? (laughs) Let me at that guy, right? (laughs) What's wrong with the picture, people? The man should be where? I taught my kids that growing up, we'd go for a walk. The whole family would go around the neighborhood. Dad, why are you on the outside? And I told him once as a young kid, hey, if the bad guys ever come, they have to go through dad. And then later on in life, it was they knew that growing up. Why, do, why does dad on the outside? If the bad guys ever come, they have to go through dad. They have to come through me. It's just basic. And here he is on his smartphone doing whatever while his woman is here. We need godly men. I mean, men that love the Lord can have chivalry, but also have a heart for Christ. 
I mean, to be a lover of God. Now, pause for a moment when I say the godly ceases to be. What is the godly? We have to ask ourselves, what does it mean to be godly? It's not that the religious ceases to be, but the godly. That I'm, am I godlike? And this is a question every man must ask himself. So you look in the mirror and you say to yourself, do I, what do I see? Do I see Christ? Now, if one is to be honest, you look in the mirror, and if you still shave or whatever it may be, or trim up the beard or whatever it may be, you look in that mirror and say, there are areas where I don't see Christ. What am I going to do? Thank you. Amen. Do we agree on that answer? Yeah. Look to Christ. Be a godly man. Swallow the hard pill sometimes. It says, I have a role in society. The fateful are disappearing from the earth. Let me not disappear as well. Let me not be missing in action. Here's a fourth reason to be thankful. Number four. And I'm just going to give you four. I'll come back to number five when I teach again. Number three. Psalm 13, the fourth reason, be thankful that God's favor will always find you. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? It's interesting here. We've talked about forever, God's loving kindness forever, Christ is king forever. But here, the psalmist is wondering, here is real life for the psalmist. How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul? Having sorrow in my heart all day, how long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Enlighten my eyes, I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. But, notice the contrast. Yes, because he's saying, yeah, here is real life. It, it is difficult. I'm wondering, Lord, do you even hear me? Uh, you covenant keeping God. Have you turned your face from me? But in the midst of it, I've trusted in your what? Loving kindness, your covenant love, your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Hold on. We go back a moment here. And he spoke to his heart earlier. What did he say in verse 2 about his heart? I have sorrow in my heart all day. Well, how can you have both, David? Because he's saying, I must resolve. Here is the reality of what I'm facing right now, but I must resolve that I will rejoice in my salvation. I asked you, do you have a reason to be thankful? The first word was someone said, my salvation and everything else simply bleeds from that. I will sing to the Lord, and here he is, this is his statement, because he has dealt bountifully with me. It starts off, it surely doesn't sound like it's a bountiful relationship, does it? But it ends this way. And this is his journey, and sometimes that is a journey of some of you as well. If it's not now, it will be in the future. We may start off by saying, how long, how long, how long? And then we have to resolve in a heart that says no. I have salvation. No, he's a covenant-keeping God. No, he's dealt bountifully with me is what he said. <laughs> these, even these moments of waiting are moments for us to grow. 
We should learn to sing a song of praise even when we're singing out or crying out or praying, How long, O Lord? Because sometimes, and perhaps I can say often, the waiting is a part of that process of growth, isn't it? That the Lord is teaching us. Let me read your story. Um, a final thought for you. Sesuna of Eritre. Eritre is small. If you go Africa, uh, northeast, here's Red Sea. Um, what is it? Djibouti here, Ethiopia here, Sudan is here. Okay, small country. Um, it's about a girl. She's a high schooler. Um, um, presidential dictatorship is what they have since 64, somewhere in there. Um, no elections ever held there. Uh, military um, service is required, causing a lot of young people to flee the country. That's why there are a lot of refugee camps actually in Ethiopia. Many will flee there because of it. Imagine this classroom setting. This is high school classroom setting. It says, Then the instructor clad in traditional military fatigues began to parrot the government's explanation of why evangelicalism, evangelicalism is wrong. It is a belief system developed by the Americans to weaken Eritrea. This compulsory service, and going back to actually them having to serve in the army, prompts thousands of students to flee the country every year. But this girl, says soon as she decided in this classroom setting, would stand up with her Bible and say that she was a Christian, although her friends literally were pulling her down, saying, you should sit down, don't do it, it's not worth it. It says at age 14, she read the Bible for the first time as a requirement for volunteering at a Sunday school, as a Sunday school teacher at a Lutheran church. Through reading God's word, she realized that much of the Orthodox church's um, teaching was not biblical. She began attending an illegal evangelical church as only four religious groups are legal in the country. They're uh, Eritrean Orthodox Church, the Lutheran Church, the Roman Catholic Church, and Islam. When Sesuna's relatives learned that she, was, she had started an informal Bible study at her high school and had been expelled from school as a result, they beat her severely. I truly learned, this is her speaking, I truly learned what it was like to be an evangelical believer that day. Interesting perspective, isn't it? I was beaten for my faith. I learned what it meant to be a believer. Hmm, different. So now they take her to this camp where they train her for military service to the point where now, as the young girls are all in this room, 15 other women in these vile living conditions, um, they say they were permitted to go to the bathroom only once a day at 6 p.m. The guards, fearing that some of the women might attempt an escape, took them outside in a line and watched them. Some of the guards behaved so inappropriately that Sesuna stopped going to the bathroom. Consequently, 
She ate and drank very little, and she became ill. Hmm. She decides, the rest of the, some of the stories, she decides she is going to run away. It says, disowned by her family and facing a lifetime of military service or imprisonment, she decided to flee. She was assigned to the worst of four Eritrean refugee camps in Ethiopia. And her Muslim roommates often hid her and stole her rations. Depressed, Sasuna considered returning. Imagine that. In time, though, she began to attend an evangelical service in the camp. It was the first time in her life that she had been able to worship openly. And she even began to teach Sunday school again. Then, after a church leader met her, he recommended Sesuna for a place at a, a VOM-supported Bible school near the refugee camp. She said that God was preparing her for tomorrow's ministry. While her difficult upbringing and lack of family support could have been debilitating, she views it as preparation for her future ministry. And I quote, God has removed the human beings in my life so that I don't depend on them, she said. And it helps me to be strong. Having endured many trials in her young life, Sasuna remains keenly focused on eternity. I know the world will pass away one day, she said. But if we have the Lord, we have everything. Everything. You say, why be thankful? If you have Christ, you have what? Everything. Everything. If you have Christ, be thankful. It doesn't take a lifestyle to be thankful. She surely didn't have one. It takes the Lord Jesus Christ. So this week, when you look in the mirror, ask those questions. Father, we are thankful for your goodness, grace, and mercy that you show us. Help us to be thankful. In Christ's name, amen.